Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks so much for listening. So much to talk about. We're going to get through a lot. Let's start with beer here in Utah. 3.2. What is going to happen? You want to set it up, Greg? Yeah. I So... A lot of states had different context, alcohol content in their beer. Utah, we have very watered-down beer. Yeah, it's a 3.2. Uh, it's by weight. Uh, a lot of states even do it by volume. So you have these different numbers flying around. But okay. the 3.2 beer that uh, Oklahoma was the last state that said, you know what, we're not 3.2 anymore. We're not. We're going to go to the more nationalized uh, standard, which is what? It's a 4.8. 4.8. And so as states do not have, uh, as many states have 3.2, then that means your major breweries like Coors No one's making or, it. Yeah, they're not going to make it just for one lone state. So the fear is that Utah would not see some of the major uh, breweries like Budweiser or Coors or those be in these areas. And, and so supermarkets, convenience stores, they're worried about that. And so there's a bill looking to uh, go to that more national average. But that doesn't mean that everyone will be at this ceiling of, of content of alcohol because beers have different, uh, uh, you know, amounts. It's true. Near beer is what we're talking about in Utah. It's 3.2. It's been that way a long time. And the state would just as soon in the legislature do away with beer if they had their way. But they're torn because they got this other side of all these retail lobbyists and these and these convenience store lobbyists. And what's going to happen if the legislature doesn't act Nobody's producing the 3.2 anymore. So they are forced in this corner to actually do something. And I suspect that they're going to go, morality, what should we do? Money, on the other hand, we better go with the money. And they're going to figure this out. So we'll probably have not only beer available, but it's going to be like real beer instead of the near beer. You strike me as too hoity-toity for beer. Do you drink beer? Uh, I hate wine. I went to BYU. They all taste the same to me. So um, I'm very embarrassing with people because, I, you know, a $50 glass of wine tastes the same as a $3 glass of wine. I, I just, I'm not, it, it, it's lost on me. Heidi, here's Good. the deal. Okay. So look, I'm from Pittsburgh. That's a that's yeah. a drinking town with a football problem. Yes, it is. So you know. With a football so, problem. No, look, here, this is the, the, the reality about it. There's a lot of local breweries that would probably love for it to stay at 3.2 and see some of their major competitors in these large big beer, big pharma, big beer, not be able to be in the in the state. So there might be some smaller breweries that homegrown that would that? love. So polygamous border would be huge so, here in yeah, Utah. If they, if they yeah. stayed at the 3.2 and all the big uh, breweries didn't want to come here, I think some smaller ones would, might like that. But I would. But do that. I think that the narrative isn't about the morality part. It's it's things like that about the economy about what you know what what is being made what's available to consumers and i I just think that they're having that policy discussion in this session i think it's gonna i think it's with some of these states that have fallen out and aren't doing the 3.2 any longer i think you'll see a change bottom line will join suit yes Yes, i do okay i think utah will follow suit yeah they're gonna they're gonna straighten this out there's too much money on the line 
Okay, also um, the legislature working right now to get $4 million ready because there's some issues with getting medical marijuana on the market, whether it's banking or the farms ready. Is that $4 million okay at this point? Look, let me tell you what these people did. They found the worst of all solutions. There's a very simple solution. They avoided that to get more government. They just couldn't get enough. We set up in that, instead of saying, you know what, there's a distribution system out there right now. We don't even care how people get the marijuana. We just will say anybody with a medical certificate, they have the right to have marijuana and they won't be persecuted. It would have been five lines, but no. Thousands of pages of rules, hundreds of new bureaucrats, millions of dollars to make a DABC-like monster structure in the state we got bureaucrats what we got a rule if you have a medical pass and you fit under the qualifications and a doctor signs this you have the right to have this amount a medical amount of cannabis you want to go to Colorado you go to Colorado you want to go how you get it is your business but what we have we're gonna have state farms we're gonna have growing we're gonna have inspectors everywhere we're gonna set up special retail shops we're gonna have this system that's gonna cost millions of dollars because it's all in cash you can't imagine the bureaucracy that the Republicans in this state are overwhelming this four million dollars is just the beginning it's gonna be dozens, hundreds of millions of dollars by the time their bureaucracy gets done. Okay, so will this four million work, Greg? Can we This do what is we a need test of patience. I am I'm gonna get a badge for listening to that. But I'm telling you right now. <laughs> if we're calling badge. it medicine. Okay. I would I would hope that we all agree that there is a, a regulatory climate that is associated with medicine and how we receive medicine. We want this to be a system. We we went and looked and said, look, we want access for patients, but we had critics of medical cannabis. Unregulated medical cannabis was never going to address some of the issues of public safety and some of the issues that, that the, the patient's health. And when you say they're entitled, Jim, to a certain amount, who measures that? Who makes sure that the dosages are, are there if it is in fact medicine? So what we're doing is we had a very collaborative. We had those that were had concerns, the, the physicians, and we had law enforcement, and we had faith-based leaders that had concerns about medical cannabis, whether it had yeah. efficacy or not. We had the proponents, those that wrote the proposition, authored it, uh, gathered the signatures, raised the money for the campaign, who came together and said, look, let's make sure we don't hurt access by over-regulating it so that patients in need have care, but let's address the public safety issues as well. It's a blend. Other states, Pennsylvania, they license doctors. They have an active role. Uh, they also have licensed pharmacists that are there at the specialized uh, cannabis pharmacies in places like uh, Pennsylvania and Connecticut as well. We took some of the best practices of those states and in collaboration with and cooperation with those who, who were strong proponents uh, of, of medical cannabis. In fact, as former Senator Mark Madsen came back, he doesn't live in Utah anymore, flew back on this announcement of this agreement and said, look, if I could have got this bill passed when I was sponsoring it, I would have taken this bill. This is a good bill. So we did that. Uh, you know, if you want unregulated access to cannabis, period, if that's yep. all you want, then you do hate the agreement. But if we want people, even people that maybe have not considered medical cannabis as a way to treat uh, ailments or, or to receive, you know, care, the more you make it a legitimate 
doctor relationship with the patient, with the pharmacist, the stronger that is, the more I think people that might not have considered medical cannabis before may see that as an option. So bottom line, Jim's not a big fan of rules because we saw your video, you went down to Las Vegas, you even broke their own laws down there and you ate your medical gummy outside and you have to eat it inside. Did you perfectly, feel wild? Perfectly fine. Okay. Look, uh, just one more thing because we don't want to get uh, down, a rabbit down, hole. down a rabbit hole. The people who are supposed to be the guardians of, of the less galaxy. government, the nanny state took over the state employees are going to be drug dealers. There's this, you couldn't think of a worse thing. Guess what, my good friend Greg? There is a perfectly good distribution system for marijuana. It's there now. It was there before the law. It was there after the law. It's not going to change that. All you we're going to do, <laughs> all we're going to do, drug dealers? All we're, now we turn all state employee or the state employees that are that doing this, we're the only state that it has uh, uh, the state out there dealing in and selling the drugs. This is a catastrophe and it's paternalistic there's, to the people Heidi, of the state. Awesome to have on your business card right. though, right? Listen, no? listen, there's <laughs> privately owned specialized medical cannabis pharmacies that people True. can, and they, they're, they're privately owned and you can, you can go to a, a walk-up shop. If you live in a rural place, population doesn't call for a, a shop like this. The state has created a, a central fill model uh, that you could call and with the recommendation from your physician and have that filled where that recommended amount could be delivered to a, a, a close a county department of health. All right. Um, you know what? Again, I say that we're creating better access for patients and you can't say in one hand, medical cannabis is not illegal and people sh patients should have access. And as soon as we try to find a way to make sure that patients have access, call everybody a drug dealer. You can't have it both ways. No, you can't. I'm gonna zip it. Okay, good. We've got other issue to deal with. On the November ballot, uh, Utah voters made some decisions that they really didn't want the legislature to mess with at all. One of them was medical marijuana, another one was Medicaid, and then redistricting. And now we're hearing that Bramble wants to ditch redistricting, forget about it. Is that an okay thing to do? People obviously voted for this. They want some fairness in the state. They want representation. We have this nanny bunch in the legislature, and you hear them. They try not to let it come out, but it comes out. You know, the people don't really know. The people ultimately aren't smart enough. We got to figure it out. You know, on medical marijuana, on Medicaid expansion, we can shove it down their throat because we know better than the people and Bramble and the Utah County Brigade, they're getting all set to now do the same thing on independent redistricting. You know what? The people are smart. In a lot of ways, look at Medicaid expansion. They're a hell of a lot smarter than the people up there that their I, political ideas are inbred. They just all talk to each other and they come out, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying it's a serious problem doing away with independent redistricting, added on to all the other things where the legislature is crushing the voice of the people is a bad, bad thing. Okay, into, uh, redistricting sounds like an easy issue though, but a lot of people, if you had to sit down and actually draw it up in a map and make sure we're all equal, it's not easy to do. Can it be done independently? Can it be fair yeah. and actually happen? So if you were to count by counties, an overwhelming number of counties uh, voters rejected this independent uh, commission because people do not have blank uh, and, and or without opinion. Yeah, uh, th this everybody idea that everybody's going to come in there and they just have no opinion on any side and they're independent. 
Uh, I, it may sound nice, but it's not real. And more, uh, like I said, overwhelmingly by county, these, especially rural counties, they don't trust Wasatch Front to decide how everything's going to be drawn, and there's a worry about that. So if you look at, the, at how that vote fell out, especially on redistricting and how that representation uh, occurs, th it's a deeper issue. I will tell you this, I lived through a redistricting process. The Democrat Party said, I hey, didn't. we're gonna sue you. So, or we may, so it's a litigation hold. Anything you create by way of paper, you have to drop and you have to keep, so we were dropping every piece of paper, every map you made, you had to have, you know, if you're sitting there trying to make a map for the commission, redistricting commission's consideration, all that has to be saved. We were never sued. Uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to follow major uh, boundaries, uh, whether it be the cities, your corridors, your roads, things like that. And it is incredibly uh, difficult to get this right. And so I would say in that, in that redistricting proposition, it says uh, they're going to tell you how to do it, and you just get an up or down vote. You can't say you missed a little here or there's something you haven't considered. It's an up or down vote. It's, uh, it, I, I don't think it matches with how difficult that process is and how many different maps you have and how you have to bring the people together. Look, at the end of the day, if we do it wrong, there is an election. Yeah. There is accountability. In the House, it's every other year, two-year terms. Senators, it's four years, but you have an you have an accountability of the people, and I'm going to tell you that that redistricting. I was part of a process that I think was, what you know they they wanted the Democrats across the country sue when they can. There was no grounds to litigate on our redistricting process because we take those issues into consideration, the ones that we should. So should it happen, bottom line, uh, yes or no? No, I, I, I don't think it's necessary. I actually don't think the Constitution calls for it. I think they call for the legislative body to draw these lines. I think they've carefully crafted it to try and make it so that we ultimately make the decision, but they have this take it or leave it uh, yeah. uh, map. But I, I, think it, uh, I don't think it's going to do what, what's been advertised. We have to redistrict, of course. Every 10 years, we, we draw the lines again. There's still gonna be 29 senators, and if the state population grows by half a million, then, then we, have to, we have to redistrict that. What the Republicans do, they crawl in a caucus, and they sit in there for 14 hours, and they draw their own lines. And yeah, there's a lot of fight. There's a so lot Democrats of discussion. Democrats drawing lines in their offices? And, and, well, let me finish what happens. The Republicans draw their own lines, and the congressmen are all texting and shoving notes underneath. And there's a battle, all right, but it's a battle between the Republicans. And that's exactly what happens. And when they come out of there, they come out like little robots, like little Tommy Toms, and they go out and they vote like this. And we have districts drawn by the legislators to pick their constituents. And what this independent commission would do is say, it ain't, it's not right for legislators to draw their own districts. What ought to happen is an independent group of people ought to sit down, the governor has a say, he can veto it, and they're still, and the legislature still has to say yes or no, but they're not sitting there drawing their own districts. It's a heinous way to do it. A lot of states don't. And Greg says, go back to the election. The election's rigged by the way the boundaries have been done. Okay. That's the whole purpose I'm of you, it. The last drawing, and, and Jim, you weren't there, so I, I'll give I was, you. I'll oh, give, I was there, but as a state party chair, remember? Yes, as a state party chair. So we had uh, a lot of Democrats uh, from the state party that were part of the map drawing with their Democrat representatives and senators. I saw them there. They were part of that process. Um, the, the districts in Salt Lake County 
Uh, Representative Kaiser, Republican. Representative Christensen, Republican. They merged those districts together. One had to go. Representative uh, Lee Perry, Representative Brad, Brad Galvez, two Republicans. But districts were collapsed. One of them had to go. The scenario you're describing would not see Republican seats that are merged together and one would have to be eliminated. You're making a but face, that, Jim. 15 but more that seconds. Is what, that is what happens look, when you do it the right look, way. Ogden Sometimes the populations City shift. Has about 90,000 people. It should have one senator. It should have three representatives because Ogden's Ogden's issues are unique. They're a big city. They got big city problems. What do the Republicans do? They split Ogden. If they just let the people of Ogden vote, they would have a Democratic senator probably and three Democratic representatives. So what do they do? They split it in such a way that Ogden is split into five different ways and they can pick up all of the uh, suburban and rural parts and so the people of Ogden have no representation whatsoever because their representatives are beholden not to Ogden City and the values of the urban city but to the suburban areas that make up the majority that is a bad thing for democracy and they ought to be ashamed of themselves and that's what happens when all of those look if Democrats were doing it you don't believe they would be doing the same thing? Look at the states that they are doing it. I don't know. It probably if, if there were more Democrats in our legislature than Republicans, it probably would be the same thing exactly. the other way. So let's let's get this figured out. We'll see All what right. they happen. Uh, we could talk about redistricting could, for hours. Uh, you guys yes, could probably I have, wrestle. I have a retort, but I will. You'll have keep to move it to on. yourself. I know. Okay. I so I won that one then. Regardless. I don't right? know. About I that. guess she's <laughs> the last word. <laughs> okay, we got to talk about Prop Three because this is an important one. Medicaid expansion at this point. What has been passed so far, 50,000 people who would have gotten it, according to what people voted on their ballots, will no longer get it. But there's been some interesting thing happening. Todd Weiler, a Republican who's been around a long time, a surprise vote against it. Why do you think that happened? A fear. I think there's some fear out there. I, I think that there's, uh, there's been a lot of attention put towards uh, this. Uh, I think misinformation. I think that one of the things when we talk about that 50,000 that would be left off mm -hmm. of a plan that you're hearing about in the Capitol Hill right now, uh, I don't think people know that that 50,000 are already covered through ACA. So the gap is a zero to 100% of the federal poverty level. Uh, the, the Medicaid expansion would ask those that are currently being covered through the exchange, which by the way, the insurance is actually better mm -hmm. than Medicaid, who are currently covered 100% by the federal government, they want the state to take a portion, so 50,000 of them. So if the, if the voice of the people was about, we have an uncovered population. And to give you an example, we talked about, I think, if I'm, an in, I'm a single individual and I make $12,000 a year or less, right now I don't have access to Medicaid. Medicaid's been for children and those that are disabled, but we, by, by uh, income, household income, want to cover people that don't have it. We estimate that at 100,000 people that have fallen into that gap of not being covered. If it was the intent that we cover those that are not covered, the legislature absolutely will be honoring the voice of the people and covering them. If it was the portion, the 150,000 150, that currently have insurance now and coverage now or have access to the exchange, that we should be covering a portion of them as well, I don't know that that's what was being asked uh, by the people in Prop 3. My, my belief is this. Prop 3 said, hey, you have people that don't have health care, and they should, and they need it. We need to help them. And absolutely for fact, and no one can contradict it, what that legislature will pass 
will cover those that didn't have it. But they have this other obligation called balancing the budget. There's other obligations and duties that our legislative branch has that were not really articulated in Prop 3, but still exist. You have to have a budget, you have to be able to balance it, and you have to have, because you heard what the people years said. Years down the road. Yeah, years down the road. You have to have uh, those that the people said in Prop 3 to be covered, you have to cover them. And I don't think you would have that, that, the, that, that, that gap covered absent the vote. So I think the vote was critical. It's the people said, we want to see this coverage, the coverage is going to happen. Guarantee. Holy smoke, Greg. What? Whatever he was talking about. Um, He's been uh, chewing your gummies. Let no. me just say, this is not nearly as complicated, and the Republicans have done such a good job of kind of blah, 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 blah on this issue since 2014. Simplify so that even I can understand it. Here's what happened. The federal government said, we're going to pick up a lot of mostly working poor people, and we're going to help them get insurance. And most states said, okay, great. State has to put 10% in, the feds put 90% in. Utah said, no, you know, really, we need a Utah way. We're, we're different than other states. And pretty soon all other states started recognizing, hey, this is working pretty good. And pretty soon all of our surrounding states, including Idaho and Montana and Colorado and New Mexico, and Nevada, they're all going, yeah, this is working. We got it. But not Utah. No siree. They, we got to have our own Utah plan, and we don't want to be part of that federal plan. So now they're so warped about this. The federal government, though, is trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. Utah, though, doesn't have that Wait a problem, minute. so no. we doing something, no, we right? No, we raise taxes on January 1st, 2014 to pay for this. It all goes in a bucket and then it comes out of that bucket for, for the federal uh, payment on that. Utah is saying, we don't want our share of the bucket. We're still paying our taxes for that 90%. And don't want to lose the money. And so, and so what, let me just finish up, Greg, because oh, I'm, I'm over talking, but gosh, that's okay. Right. So now the people go and say, it's been five years, the legislature's blah, blah, blind. So what the interesting political thing to watch is the people on the west side of Salt Lake and other places, the representatives, they're scrambling. Mr. I'm against this, the guy who's been singularly responsible for killing it is a guy named Jim Dunnigan. But 57% of his constituents said take it. Elison and Sandy, 60%. Ivory, 53 What I'm saying is Mike Winder. 58% of the people in West Valley that desperately need this health care, and there Mike Winder and Craig Hall with 65% of his people voting for it, and they're standing up and pontificating, blah, blah, blah. Do what your people want, representatives, okay. or well, guess what? So You're going to get beat next time. So we listen. need a little correction, though, before we move on. I believe Dunnigan, who sponsored the House version, I read, I wasn't there that day, that he actually voted against the House version that he sponsored. He did. He did, but he, but not for the reasons you think. Okay. So it wasn't okay. tough enough. Let me just tell you this: I'm at a national conference, it's national state. It's a conference of state legislatures. This isn't Republicans and Democrats. It's it's everyone. Humans. The human okay. beings. They are, but they are state lawmakers. Well, they're lawmakers. They, they're lawmakers. They're, they're, they're not, not human. human. Okay, you're I'm not a recovering human. lawmaker, okay. so I'm more human now. So here's the thing: the Speaker of the House of Massachusetts. We can agree that would be a more left of center state. If there's a if there's a makeup of the legislature in Massachusetts, it would be as heavily Democrat as Utah's Republican weighted legislature. With a Republican is here governor. So he said that, and this is the case in all these states, Jim, that you just rattled off that love apparently love this. 
Medicaid expense to the state is the fastest growing portion of their budget and is unsustainable. And what he's saying is make it a single payer, have the federal government pay it all because it's eating away our budget at a rate we can't sustain. So when Jim says all these states are just cheering that they have this Medicaid expansion, the take-up rate of those that have enrolled has been more than estimated, but the cost of health care is going through the roof, of which every state is obligated to pay a percentage of, not a dollar amount. Now, I'm going to tell you that the only thing that we've ever asked is we have to budget to numbers. We don't print money in this state. It's the only thing we've ever said in terms of give us, let us know that number, let us do actuarials, and we will fund it. Prop 3, they raise a tax, but you know what they do? They raised a set and capped amount. They didn't say, hey, no matter to how expensive. Yeah, so they raised, so Prop 3 raised a sales tax. If they were intellectually honest about, hey, we're just going to pay it and it's not going to be that much, that sales tax should just ride with the cost, the state's cost, no matter how high it goes. But they knew if they did that, it probably wouldn't pass because the costs keep going like this. They've conveniently took the, the sales tax amount here. In the middle. And then they, so they've capped it. They've capped their own tax while they say to the taxpayer and us, pay whatever that cost is going to be. It would come at a cost of something well, look else. Look at what and our, gotta be and I know we got to go, but one quick retort. So look at the Republicans' response. You know what their response is? We don't like the 90-10 split. So we'll take not 150,000 poor working Utahns and give them health care. We're only going to cover 100,000. And we're going to go on a 70-30 split with the state paying 30%. Who would think of that? Cover less people and have the state pay more it's, money is, it's is in, their solution. It's inside that, baseball, but that's traditional Medicaid. It allows you to actually budget to a number that's 70-30. But we've asked for the waiver for the 90-10 for that same population. And so we're looking for the 90-10 for, for Medicaid expansion. But... Until we get that, the certainty is that you pay uh, 30%, not the 10%, but that allows you to know what number you're getting into when you start. And the because legislature there's other things promised that us last year, whatever, no, we're sure we got to grease. The Trump administration is there. They're going to be there for those waivers. They never came through. So the legislature right may well be paying 30% instead of 10% but we've gotten and high-fiving. What if we don't get the waivers? waivers? This all looks like it's on track to probably pass the Utah legislature. What if the waivers don't come through? What do we fall so back look, to? I, I'll tell you, they're probably they're working on a fallback plan, but I'll tell you just simply, we're going to cover the gap. If you don't have health care and you're at that zero to 100%, you're going to be covered. And if it was the case that those waivers didn't come, there are special sessions that can be called. There's the session that would come. I will tell you this. I will promise you, very simply put, the people that do not have coverage that Prop 3 said and the voice of the people said, we want Medicaid coverage for, will have it. End of story. We can talk percentages or how you paid for it or who paid. But I'm going to tell you, bottom line, that legislature will make sure that those people that are uncovered are covered. Okay, I'm going to shut up this time. Okay, because I you keep getting the last word. He always gets the last word. Every single segment you get the last word. It's not fair. All right, Jim's out. <laughs> Let's talk about cell phones for a second because the Utah legislature, looking right now at the possibility <laughs> of just getting rid of cell phone use in cars. I think if you have a Bluetooth, you'd be able to keep it with this last bill that was up there where you could call, but only if you had a Bluetooth, no other calling on your phone. Distracted driving 
is a problem? Is it something that we should be getting rid of altogether? I'm against the ban. I think that distracted driving is a is a, an offense. It's a it's a violation. You yeah. can be ticketed for it, and I think that needs to be ticketed. I think that, I mean, we've all sat at a green light while when the car in front of us doesn't go because they're on their phone. Yeah. So. I will say that I think Bluetooth and technology is helping in terms of concentration on the road. I think it's too draconian and, and frankly too bossy to say we want no cell phones uh, to be used in, a, in an automobile. I think it's, it's, it's over the top. Uh, where people are distracted, they should be cited for it. Okay, the same legislature that was phobic on 0.5% DUI, you know, which is two sips and your DUI. Safety is so important. You know what, it turns out Distracted driving on the phone is about seven times more distracting to driving and hazardous not only to you but to the other cars than this 0.5% DUI. So I don't I don't think either of them ought to be you know locking hey, up. Book it. I'm, I'm with Jim on the 0.05. I, I oppose that uh, that that bill. I I, I think it's. You got a speedometer in your car, and you have a speed limit on the road. It lets you know how fast your car is going, so that you can stay in the speed limit. This .05, we don't have those. I mean, I think it's down to a level now that's very hard to discern uh, by gender, by weight. It ends up becoming very problematic, and if you get that DUI, uh, it changes the trajectory of your life in terms of its consequences for insurance for your family and their automobile employment opportunities, things like that. But Security to make it clear, though, you won't get pulled over unless you're acting drunk, correct? No. Well, you know what? Um, if you go around with police officers, they oftentimes go to the places where people are drinking and they're there at closing time. And a lot of times they're just pulling people over. I mean, no, they're supposed you know, to the, do it, but it's just the way the I, system works. I, they won't pull people over without cause. But if you follow behind a car, there's oftentimes, even in the mid noon day, you have committed a traffic violation. For instance, if you want to turn left, on a road and you didn't stay in that inside lane they could pull you that's over. A, that's a violation and yeah. so if you or stay behind a car you stay yeah. behind a car you can find things and i just think that uh it's it's a draconian uh law people they pointed to uh ireland and other places in europe well they have neighborhood pubs and some of these places are pointing out where we don't have things like that here in utah and so i i i didn't support the 0.05 and i i, I just think that it could lead to more uninsured drivers because it becomes more expensive to get insurance if you are charged with a DUI at 0.05. And uh, I, I just, I worry about it. So I, I would agree with, I, I, I'm not even comfortable with my own skin saying this, but I agree with J Jim DeBacchus. All right, there you have it. I agree with Speaker Hughes. Wow, that doesn't happen often. Two quick things before we wrap up. Oh, we're out of time. I'm sorry. Uh, next week? Yeah, next week. Uh, hopefully we were going to talk blackface if there's any issues here in Utah where we're thinking there's legislators that are getting in trouble. You can talk to your friends and see if it's going to come up here in Utah. And we want to talk about kids separated at the border. We could go on for hours. So yes, we'll we talk could. about this next week. Thank you for listening to the second edition of Take Two's podcast. And we'll be back at it next week. So there will be more talking. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>